0: Welcome to
1: the Elkshake Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your Blue Collar, do-it-yourself self-guided public land elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Shade Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Good good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this, just know that I want to say thank you. Appreciate you guys' support, and I also appreciate that you picked this podcast. And I hope you always get something out of it, and it it adds more value to your life. That's the whole reason I do it. Uh, We're going to bring on a friend of mine today who is a phenomenal elk hunter. He's a family man. Uh, He's a hardworking real estate guy specifically properties that are out west for ranching and recreational opportunities. He's based out of Colorado. His name's Clint Whiting. He's like a super avid bow hunter, specifically elk hunter, has been an elk hunting guide, uh, has worked in the hunting industry at some capacity. He's very fit. He's Very sharp mentally and he's got a lot of mental capacity and that's what we're going to talk about today. How to bolster your mental capacity for elk hunting public land as well as dissecting some solo elk hunting principles that you need to add to your arsenal. Even if you hunt with a partner or, or a team, there may be days where you go out solo. Your tactics will have to reflect that change. And so we're going to go over some best practices and talk about Colorado, specifically elk hunting. That's where a lot of public land elk hunters end up because it has a lot of opportunity. And that's what they manage the state for. We're going to go and dissect that. This podcast is brought to you by the Vortex Optics partner since 2010, based out of Wisconsin, veteran owned just a family of a company that rocks some really legit optics check out their new tripods these things are I got them in hand in August got to use them before they launched them in January put them through the paces super stoked I own a couple different pairs uh, and that's actually what I film all our YouTube content off of as well as what I hook my spotter up to and my binos out in the backcountry they're ultra lightweight carbon check them out Vortex wanted me to promote their Vortex Wear, their whole new line of soft goods, and they have some really legit clothing. I actually got my wife hooked up with some stuff. So, ladies, if you're listening, check it out. Super fashionable, very functional. We use them to work out in. We use them just to go on dates and to to go hiking, and it's just nice lifestyle wear. Got a discount code for you guys. The discount code is elk shape that'll knock 20% off check it out wilderness athlete is a huge partner of ours actually started with them back in I think 2006 I did take a hiatus and I signed with mountain ops for a couple years Wished I hadn't but I did and came back to wilderness athlete I love the company I love what they stand for and I absolutely love their products and I want to get you guys hooked on their stuff so if you're going to make an order make it a big one because this is a one time discount code so your first purchase only get 30% off use the discount code elk shape 30 one word Um, a couple guys messaged me about stowaway gourmet if i had a discount code i do i'm not sponsored by them but i do really enjoy their freeze-dried food i think it's a higher level of quality ingredients chefs brought in they make the food on site and then freeze-dry it so like other companies a lot of times they'll just ship food in not stowaway so the discount code is elk 10 knock 10 percent off and they're out of the northwest which is uh cool because I am too. Speaking of Northwest, my buddy Tim owns Northwest Retention Systems. This is your custom gun holster. I use the one that goes on my chest. It's called the Scout. I go binos over the top. So it's called the Scout. You can get the one with the elk shaped logo on it if you want, or you can get another one and get it suited to whatever handgun you want to carry. People ask me what I carry. I have two options. Grizz Country is a 44 mag. Uh, It's a Smith and Wesson, and I have a holster for that. And if I'm in black bear, wolf country, or just want protection, um, which I do nowadays, I carry a handgun for my family. I don't carry it for me. There were so many years where I didn't, Um, and it's actually cost me shots on wolves. When I have a wolf tag, I didn't have a handgun, and so carry a handgun, please, for your family, and that one is a Glock twenty-three. It's a forty caliber, uh, Northwest Retention. Link in the show notes. Use the discount code ElkShape. You will take ten uh, percent off, no shipping and handling, and the lead time's five days, even if they have to, you know, make a a new custom. Holster Just for that handgun. And I love Tim. I've had him on the podcast before. He's a really blue collar dude who created a side hustle that led to his full time hustle. And I love that man. Black Ovis is back in 2021. Uh, they have a discount code elk shape 10% off. They carry everything under the sun and their customer services out of this world. And uh, some exclusions apply, but not, you know, still check that discount code out. Also, they're doing an arrow build. Uh, contest right now and if you are listening to this podcast as it drops get on to blackhost.com build yourself an arrow with their custom arrow builder application on their website take a picture of it and find their little contest and upload that picture and make sure you vote because voting is how you're going to win they're going to pick five winners they're going to get you your custom arrows to you a dozen and i think they're going to pick three winners based on voting And they're going to pick two winners based on in-house what they thought. So that's awesome. Back at e-bikes. These guys are hunters. They make e-bikes for hunters. I use an e-bike for three ways. One is to get in and out of whitetail setups as well as checking cams. Get in and get out quietly. I also use it for basically cat road shuffle from bear hunts to elk hunts. So if it's a cat road, uh, which is like a skid road where... The logging and stuff like that, where it's legal, it's not gated to no motorized vehicles. A lot of times, especially in national forests, e-bikes are considered motorized vehicles. Please know the rules. Please don't ruin it for everybody. But where legal, they are deadly. I'll be using my bike specifically for bears this spring and a lot of night bugling. Uh, it's quiet. It doesn't make a sound. You can, you can run long ridges and bugle off and locate your elk to hunt the next day. Discount code is elk shape 300. It knocks $300 off. Check it out. Uh, We got a new video coming out on YouTube, breaking down NUMA. I've had a lot of requests. People know that I am now using NUMA. And uh, I have a discount code ELKSHAPE20, knock 20% off, link in the show notes. But check out our YouTube channel. Uh, I met with their lead designer, and we break down some of their uh, pieces for 2021, as well as uh, kind of the design, the engineering. There's a lot of thought. There's a lot of technical Components to their gear and I think people I think they're up and coming look out. Numa is going to be here and uh, I want to stand behind them. They they stand behind me I have a lot of influence with them on helping to test gear and make improvements and I want you guys to check them out So tag hub for tag allocation season, which we are deaf. <laughs> we are full in uh, at the time of this recording Utah deadline is coming up. So be on the lookout for that Same with New Mexico, uh, as well as Colorado, which we'll talk about on this podcast. That's coming up. So hopefully you're getting your strategy swinging for the fences, your mid-range plans, your backup plans, including over-the-counter. So the Tag Hub discount code is Elkshape15, knocks 15% off. I don't have a sponsorship with them. That's just to add value to you guys. So check it out. Elk Collective, that is my baby. That is the resource for online, digital. Elk hunting education. It's all video driven and it's from multiple elk hunters, not just one source. So you get to learn from several different resources on how to get it done on public land, depending on what part of the country you're hunting elk in, the time of year, your choice and weapon, all the preparation that you should be doing, all the elk vocalization, the gear, the scouting, it's all video. You can you probably can't watch all the videos so in in a couple of months. It's gonna take a while. So if you are signed up for the Elk Collective, just try to watch a video or two a day, and by the time elk season goes around, you'll know, you'll have a better understanding of what you need to do to be successful on public land. The discount code is Podcast, all one word, takes $25 off. Here we go. This is uh, going to be a good listen. I want you to get inspired, to get mentally stronger, improve your mental capacity. You can do it, as well as learn some strategy on public land, and... I'll be heading to Tennessee for uh, Oak Shape Camp, Tennessee. We're heading to Nashville. We'll be at the Archery Den. I'm super stoked for that, man. It's going to be cool. We're heading to a really cool CrossFit gym on day three. It's going to be great. Dirk's coming in, Jeff Bynum, Fiscal Fitness. And uh, the only camps I really can promote to you guys is the Boise Camp in March and the uh, Utah Camp in April. Everything else is sold out. we got a few spots at those. So if you're interested, go to oakshape.com All right, let's get into it. This is Clint Whiting. We're talking elk hunting on the Elk Shape Podcast. Good morning. Get your workout in this morning? No. No? No, no. I pushed it off today. I'm going to do it uh, at like, I'm going to shoot the last 30 minutes of daylight and then work out. I did that same program yesterday and I dug it, honestly. It was like, anytime I can shoot in the evenings, like that's ideal for me. Sure. You know, I feel like... If you look back at all my, all the archery stuff, it's like, you need reps in that low light. So that's, and it makes I, a difference. I, I, it does. And I cheat. The wind is usually pretty chill and I'm messing with a new sight tape. So you know how that is. Yep. But one of those deals. Um, but did you go, did you get yours in already? I'm sure you did. No, I,
2: you know what? Um, of course having kids, you know how it is, man. I had to bring my son to daycare this morning. Uh, he's up at five, five 30 every day um so i'm lucky if i can get a half a cup of coffee in before he's hitting the ground so uh i'll I'll do that this evening and it's just all about time management you know what i mean
1: did you have any uh thing you wanted to talk about or is like i can talk about everything you know there's a lot
2: of subjects we could talk about um fitness family uh this coming year as far as applications and hunting plans um don't know I don't know you know if there's any particular subject you want to tap into um you know I live I live in the mountains literally I live at 9,500 feet um so I mean working out at that altitude is uh a challenge that a lot of people don't understand and uh you know just balancing life and hunting and family and all that stuff i guide as well in between my own hunts and
1: things like that so <laughs> okay cool so yeah let's talk about let's figure out our connection clint like let's get that figured out first so yeah um yeah
2: what, so in where you and i've been you and i've been chatting since like the old crossfit days i remember looking at you in the leaderboard and and i i used to always chase you on the leaderboard just even though you were in a different region and everything else which was super cool and to see kind of where you're at now but um yeah long history there
1: yeah i'm not nearly as fit as i used to be that's where i'm at bro um it's i'm gonna blame my excuses kids honestly you know but to to compete at To to compete at exercising, first and foremost, I want to make fun of it so no one can. Like, yeah, it's the dumbest thing ever. But when you get out of college and, you know, you don't have baseball to train for or football or whatever people's... Like, you, you, you like working out. You like sweating. You feel like you're doing something. And then you find this CrossFit thing where we can die for points on a whiteboard. We... You just, you gravitate. I've seen it a hundred times, thousand times, how many athletes gravitate towards that. And then um, when CrossFit kind of started out in its early days, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond, man. There just wasn't that many people that knew about it. That's how I got to go to the CrossFit games a couple times and stuff like that was there wasn't Matt Frazier's and Rich Froning's uh, at all. In fact, I think... The second time we went to the games uh, was the, might have been the first time I met Rich Froning and whatever, and I was just like, seeing him in person, I'm just like, dude, these guys are on a whole, n- like another planet. And uh, I think our last year competing as a team was 16 and that was the same year my son was born. And my wife had always been on our team because she was super stud, she still is to this day, but she was nine months pregnant Ready to her due date was on the day that we were at regionals, and God had a good plan for us. We we missed the podium by one point and didn't go, and I actually haven't competed really since that day. So 16 was our last year. How about you? Did you ever go to regionals or do all that stuff?
2: Yeah, made regionals as a team. Um, that uh, that was awesome. You know that was. You know that was almost the pinnacle of my crossfit involvement i was a crossfit coach um for a long time um, one of my passions is helping people so i gravitate to that i enjoyed coaching uh, did regionals i played college baseball um in school so that was a good uh, fit for me um but you know I'm, I'm approaching 40 this year so i mean i got a I need some longevity, you know, I need, I need functional, but I don't need the red line. And, you know, as you get older, shit starts to hurt. You know what I mean? And, uh, you gotta take care of yourself. Um, and then of course, working out at home solo, uh, at 9,500 feet, it's an entirely different deal, man. It doesn't get any easier. Um, working out for time is almost out of the window. Like you just can't do it. Um, you know what I mean? Moving a cycling a barbell for time, Fran, that kind of stuff. Forget it up here. Uh, so I do a lot of interval stuff, um, just uh, just working sets and and moving a lot. Um, and you know, I, I love living up here. Don't get me wrong, but it's you know to look at other people and and you know their their workout regimen and things they do for times and distances and things. It's 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 totally different here. Um, I was thinking about your uh, your your course coming up in Denver, and I was thinking, man, it'd be so cool to catch a workout with you up here, because
1: it's a different world. Dude, let's make a plan of it. I mean, um, Charlie, you're friends with Charlie Pappas? Yeah. So, he's my brother from another mother. As soon as I met that guy, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. So, I think... I haven't booked flights for Colorado yet. That's the one. I have last two camps. We haven't figured out travel yet. But we usually rent a house. And um, I know for a fact I'm staying one extra day to do some video stuff with Kafaru and Snyder. And I might be coming in a day or two early to work with Santino Castellanos. And I just want to work out we're doing three camps in March and that's all like travel and stuff and so my fitness could t- potentially suck and so I'm just gonna like throw out invitations please bring me to your gym let me work out as much as I can when I can so if if that's you man let's go
2: yeah I'll keep an eye on that that would be that would be a lot of fun I'm, I mean I'm two and a half hours from from no limits which is really hard for me to get over there Dang. Um, yeah. it's tough um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll keep an eye on that cause I'd love to join you guys. That'd be a lot of fun.
1: Okay. So you, what CrossFit gym did you coach at and which one did you compete for back in the day?
2: So I was at elite CrossFit in San Antonio. That's uh, right. I, I lived in San Antonio, uh, after hurricane Katrina, I'm originally from new Orleans, lost everything in Katrina, moved to San Antonio whole nother life there. Right. And then um, I met my now wife there and I was actually on my way to Bozeman. I was going to take a job for Sitka um, as their big game manager. And my, my not wife, not even fiance, she said, you know what? I'm not attached here. Montana is a little far how about Colorado and I was like you know what if there's public land and elk nearby and no neighbors I'm in so she's like all right let's do it so shit moved really fast for the two of us um, I, I made I made some some decisions some very important decisions and uh, here we are today you know we got a one and a half year old now and um she's a nurse. She, she commutes to the Springs, which is an hour from here. And, uh, I'm in farm and ranch real estate. So I cover the entire state, um, dealing with recreational properties and things like that. So that parlays into my guiding and knowledge about animal habitat and hunting and all of that stuff. So it's, um, it's never ending. And my wife is like, God, you know, uh, really cool. Um, to be able to live out here and just live that lifestyle and make a living doing it, it's, it's, it's pretty cool.
1: Uh, super jealous. Okay, so you're basically, you don't even got to knock on doors. You know where to go, where to get access uh Especially in your state, that's important. Really cool. Let's talk about Sika for a second. Like I recently stopped wearing Sika gear just because I could. not I could never get a partnership with them. Like I could get, um, I could get a mountain of clothes, clothing and gear from them. I have really good friends that work there, but they weren't in a position to do any business with Elk Shape, and I was in a position to where I was like, hey, if I'm gonna make a living. If I to make a living doing this, like you got to at least work with me. I'm really trying hard, and they just weren't nope, wasn't offended. Just mutually agreed. Like, hey, I'm going to pursue other options. I I have options, um, but I've always loved Second Gear. I love Jonathan Hart, and um, I love John Barklow. Those are the two people that I feel closest with. And then Dave Brinker, when he worked there, um, what was that for you? Like, you were were you taking over? Was that before Barklow? Was that before Brinker left?
2: Uh, I was a Gore Mountain Tech, so I did a lot of R&D research on textiles and products that came out, um, put them through the ringer, used them a lot, feedback, you know, just all that stuff. And um, that that was my introduction to the whole thing. Uh, I used to wear Sitka when it was mothwing, so long, long time ago.
1: Yeah, same here.
2: Yeah. And... um, that's, that's how that whole thing started. Uh, Gore mountain tech ended and my, my involvement has just continued on with my guiding, uh, that I do with Sitka, uh, over the years. It's just, you know, that's it. Um, it's a completely different situation than what you're in as far as monetizing in the business and things like that. Oh so, yeah, certainly totally no, different, cool. totally different deal, but,
1: how did you make the transition into basically, you know, ranch recreation, real estate in a booming market, uh, a market that is fickle as well? Like how long have you been in the game? Are you a broker? Are you by yourself? Are you with the squad? Let's talk about, let's talk about money and entrepreneurship stuff. I dig. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's a hustle. It's, um, you know, you got to be a people person. This is my third year in the business. Um, I transitioned out of, more of a residential type of mountain living to farm and ranch. So we're talking 35 acres and higher. Uh, I'm an agent. I work for great plains land company. They're based out of Oklahoma, but we cover the entire Midwest and Western States. Uh, so my, uh, my ability to just talk to people, uh, send letters. I run into people all the time. It, it just, works naturally um and i i'm down south trinidad i'm all over the state so i run into people people call and ask and um you'd be surprised uh just the how word of mouth goes around people are looking for properties they can hunt on but they don't live here necessarily so they were relying on me to know like the habitat the neighbors the the unit, the statistics, draw statistics. You'd be surprised how many people are hung up on Colorado's regulations, right? Um, so I add that extra layer as far as, okay, you're looking for this or this, but you realize you're looking at an area that takes eight points as a non-resident to draw. And if you don't have 160 acres minimum, then you don't even qualify for a landowner tag. So you're buying land that you can't even hunt but every eight years.
1: What a cool niche too. Honestly, like you're you're helping people bridge the gap for their dream. Um, they've probably experienced some success if they're gonna be buying an investment property like that, that they can also recreate. Like, I like appreciating assets and that speaks to me. That's really cool that you get to kind of work still find an angle to work with hunters, man.
2: Yeah, and that's a fine line because there's some areas that I know about that I hunt personally and I don't necessarily want to exploit that, right?
0: For um, sure, dude.
2: So you got to be careful there. Uh, but knowledge of the state and knowledge of, of areas that, that are good and, you know, for the time being that are in over-the-counter units, I think, personally, I think in the next 10 years over-the-counter tags in the state of colorado are going to be gone it's my personal feeling Um, hard to
1: argue
2: yeah i mean they're already doing it you know they they took out those units in in durango and in that area that are now a draw kind of crazy they had a ton of leftover tags but you had to apply this year so you had to burn your points if you had any to hunt that unit which was over the counter previously and uh it's just it's crazy, the the dynamics that are constantly changing in the state. And now with the reintroduction of wolves and things like that, there's a lot of unknowns. A lot of unknowns.
1: And my impression or understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, you would know, is that, you know, yeah, Colorado took some over-the-counter units in the southwest corner and, and made them require a point, and you had to decide if you wanted to go antlerless or bull. But it wasn't because it was so many, like, well, there was a lot of hunting pressure, but it's because the number of elk weren't doing so well and they had to do something. Is that correct? That is correct.
2: You know, there's there's a lot of dynamics that are going on and COVID did not help. Uh the the amount of recreated, recreating that I've seen in this state this past summer was off the charts, Dan. I believe uh, it. Yeah, I, you know, I show property all over the state and and traveling through national forest lands and things like that. And I see people camped in areas that you would never camp and having fires in a, in a burn ban and all those things that are a serious risk to public lands. And uh, it's, it's hurting, it's hurting a lot of the the public lands because of the overuse, if you will. Uh, So, it's been crazy. It's been crazy. So you, you have to, you have to adapt and and learn and know what, what the changes are year to year, month to month, as far as uh, what to do properties, what what's good properties, what's good areas to hunt, things like that. And uh, you know, unless you have boots on the ground, it's hard to get that Intel.
1: hundred percent. Do you think that, um, Colorado obviously is a a melting pot for people wanting to get out of other states. Um, It's beautiful. The 300 plus days of sunshine. You know, you got a killer airport that's super central. Uh, You got skiing and recreation. You got all the... I mean, I don't have to sell Colorado. Everyone knows. I mean, I would... Who wouldn't want to live in Colorado? Myself included. Like, who wouldn't? But, like, with all these folks recreating and all these unlimited over-the-counter tags... It's just gonna be eventually a privatization of hunting as well as with the wolves, what they'll do to some of the numbers. Plus, let's talk about wildfires. Like, you guys, did you not have an unprecedented year for wildfires up north? Wildfires are crazy. We had a wildfire not not far from here two
2: years ago that was started by some kids that were camping, made a fire under a burn ban, and supposedly a a bear came into their camp and they left right um, right the wildfires has been crazy uh, the the amount of deadfall and and just the overall health of these forests are neglected in a sense uh, just from the sheer fact that none of that none of that is is harvested none of that is cleaned up we if you go if you go west of Denver the the beetle kill in that area is mind blowing it's sad it's sad uh, and you can't you can't get through there uh, it's so thick there's no sunlight that gets to the forest floor so there's no regeneration of grass it's just standing deadfall waiting for a lightning strike no one can get to it and it just burns and burns and burns. And then you, 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 couple that with the explosion of people that have moved here and, and residential areas. And it just, it's, it's, it's a bad formula. Uh, so the, the forests really need some help. They, they do. And, you know, uh, a forest fire is always good in a sense, up to a certain point, right? I mean, it, it regens the forest. It, it creates new browse. It opens up the canopy and things like that. Uh, but these extreme wildfires that burn in an uncontrolled fashion are very dangerous. You know, um, I, I was just in, in New Mexico and I hunted a burn and this burn, uh was huge and you can tell the difference between a super hot inferno fire that just literally scorches the earth and nothing grows back and a quick burning fire so the difference there is an unmaintained forest right so a a forest that is never thinned out the dead is never taken up nothing that the amount of fuels in that When it burns, it really burns, right? Because there's so much fuel on the ground alone and the trees that are standing. So if you take areas that are mitigated for fire and harvested correctly and properly, yeah, you can have a forest fire and it literally just blows through. Like you see those Midwestern farmers, they light their their fields on fire every year, right? And it just goes through. And in three months, two months, you've got green grass everywhere. It's amazing. And you can see the difference in those forest fires, you know, the ones that, that are burning super hot for months on end. And, and it just literally it's scorched earth, you know, and, uh, and and it's hard for, it's hard for a forest to recover from that in any sort of short term and, it's it makes it harder for the animals for sure, for sure, and if there's any lack of moisture within a with any sort of productive time period, that just prolongs that recovery time period for a forest fire.
1: hmm Yeah, it certainly does. I do think that um, we're in a day and age where it's not going to be uncommon to have potential hunt plans squander or go to waste because of you know i know that entire units burned down this year in colorado or whatever and and that's you know might be the new normal as i hate that term but it is a definite thing um i that's why i kind of like logging honestly like up here and and my neighbor in north idaho they do a damn good job there's trees everywhere if you ever want to see a lot of trees come to idaho come to washington but they 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 still actively log and the areas that they don't, the elk densities are so much lower because there's just too much canopy, not enough grass. And where there's logging, there is elk. And the same thing on, you know, the coast of Oregon and Washington is like logging country is an ungulate paradise. You know what I'm saying? So I feel that.
2: Yeah, and, and not to mention, you know, the, those those logging roads, if you will, right? Those logging roads serve as additional... An additional resource for any sort of fire team to use those roads to get and navigate that mountain
1: Yeah, suppression is It's manageable access things like that These forest
2: fires that you see here. They can't even get to them. You know, (laughs) they just let them go
1: Man, well, let's talk about elk hunting in Colorado a little bit And then um, I also want to pick your brain about Garmin products a little bit I started dabbling at that And I know you know a lot more about that. And so selfishly, I want to ask some questions. Uh, But let's start with Colorado. So Colorado draw system, obviously, it's got its preference. There's over-the-counter. Let's get your take on just an overview of how their process works for elk hunters. So Colorado's
2: process, I think as a non-resident, I think Colorado leans towards non-residents as far as getting drawn. mainly because of the, the, the money, right? It's all about the money these days. Yep. It's it's the truth. Um, with Colorado, obviously there's a there's there's a break with non-resident and resident as far as the percentage allocation and what you get. What what I have found is even if you're using six, eight, ten points for an archery elk unit. So you, you immediately think you have an excellent tag, and you might. And I'm, and I'm speaking from my own personal experience this past year because I burned six points. Okay, so you might have a good tag that took you six years to get, but there's also uh, a bear season going on at that same time during archery. There could also be a high country rifle deer hunt going on at the same time. So you have to, you have to look at what other seasons are going on that are not your tag. This, this deer right here, I shot that deer two years ago and there was 10 resident tags for fourth season deer, 10. So here I'm thinking, Awesome, right? There's not going to be anybody in the woods. No big deal. What I didn't realize was there was a pile of cow elk hunters in that same unit at the same time. Pressure is pressure. Anyway, point being is when you're looking at which tags you want to, you want to draw in the state of Colorado, you also want to look at what other seasons are going on in that time period which may affect your hunt and there's a, a a predisposition, if you will, that if you're using six, eight points, you're going to have a good hunt. Well, you, you need to be prepared mentally because if it's not that, which you and I both know that more times than not, it's never what we expect, right? It's always something different. And if you're not mentally prepared for that your, 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 your mental game can go in the tank real quick. You're seeing these other hunters and whatever. Um, so you need to, you need to be prepared for that. But I've also found even in over the counter units that are close to say Denver or close to Colorado Springs or whatever, there can be some very good places to hunt if you're willing to work. And and that's the key. You got to be willing to work. You got to be willing to go to those places to where some people may look at you and ask you, what what are you going to do if you kill an elk in there? You know, you're on the right path there. Um, Because most of the time, 90% of the people that are hunting are not going to do that. Uh, I spent 18 days solo last year when I killed my bull. And I was five and a half miles from the nearest road. Santino helped me pack that bull out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And um, the 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 mental game and the physical game is is something that you have to have. A lot of people prepare physically, and they may be physically fit, but you throw some adverse conditions their way, some extra hunters, some extra pressure, whatever that may be their physical ability is virtually useless at that point because their mind is shot
1: yeah and hunting solo is no joke like eight days solo is hard is hard you add another you know 18 days um you're gonna face some demons you're gonna face some skeletons in the cloth that you had in the closet you didn't know about uh you're gonna second guess yourself uh so let's just let's just get to it like what do you do clint to increase your mental capacity i personally don't think you're born with mental toughness i think it's there's a formula but i want to hear yours not mine so what are you doing to get yourself right to go on the public land elk hunting roller coaster and be able to adapt mentally
2: i think it's something you have to practice year-round and not giving in to that little voice in your head that says, I don't want to do that or that's uncomfortable or this is a waste of time because those are those things that creep into your mind when you have gone five days without seeing an animal or your wife and son or, you know, are at home and you're thinking about that, all of those things. So you have to constantly prepare, in everything that you do uh, whether it's working out shooting your bow going for a hike the weather's the weather's shitty i'm not going to go for a hike you got to do it you just got to do it because those little it's the little things that add up to the big thing and if you're and if you plan year round to go hunt elk right you make all these plans and you get the gear and you get you get everything and you get out there And travel and you do everything that it takes. It's a lot of effort. Monumental. You get there and you get those adverse conditions and it's right here. And it's so easy to say, I'm not going to go over that next ridge. Or I'm not going to stay here another day. That's, I feel like that's the difference in a lot of people when they're not prepared mentally. I I don't care who you are. Something's always going to go wrong. Always. Always. And it's how you handle those things is what makes the difference in your hunt. Yes, you may not tag out, but it may make the difference of you seeing more elk or finding the elk, making that hunt more of what you originally thought it was going to be and not, Oh, those guys blew those, blew those elk out of that draw. This, those, those things are what makes the difference. And, if you can't do the little things like waking up early to work out or working out after your kid goes to sleep at night and not pushing that to the side, it makes it harder for you to give up.
1: I believe that. So looking back at last year, you burned six points for this, this hunt. It took 18 days to get it done. I know how good of an elk hunter you are. So to me, that means either you were being really picky or you were definitely having to work for it and try to figure out the area.
2: I was having to work for it. Um, I I did see quite a few elk, but I had a lot of elk coming in silent. I can call well, I'm confident in that, but the elk were coming in silent on my downwind side and busting me frequently. So I had to change that tactic. And I had to wait until later on in the season when the elk were bugling more and I had to ambush them because I was by myself. So I can't set up, it's just too much movement. It didn't work for me. So I just had to be consistent and, and stick with the game. But I'll be honest with you towards the tail end of that. I was really, I was, I was hurting mentally. It was hard. And um, lots of roller coasters. It's how you handle. It's how you handle that, and how how you continue sticking with it. Because for me, I, I used six points. I wanted to give it everything I had for that season and that archery season. And could I have been upset because I ran into a muzzleloader hunter that told me he missed three different bulls with his muzzleloader during this, during the same area? Sure. You know, but I I just let that, I let that go and muzzleloader season ended. I kept, I kept pressing on. I knew the elk were in there and it was just a matter of time. And that's, and that's what it took. Moved in on this herd. I uh, I sprinted up this mountain at 12,000 feet when I heard the elk coming into the basin, found myself right in the middle of the herd, shot the herd bull as he was coming right across at 40 yards. Happened like that. And it seems to me that those—that's the time that you run into elk when you're least prepared.
1: Hundred <laughs> percent. And I love that you just said it was like that because I'm—I am seasoned enough now. When I preach this at camps, it's like it all can change, friends, in ten seconds. It could be a dick kicker week in the mountains, and you don't feel like you don't even have a chance to see an elk let alone kill one and it all can change in 10 seconds that's why i'm fully addicted and it's tough to keep remembering that when your chips are down but guess what friends like your chips are almost always down welcome to public land elk hunting yeah the odds are stacked against you no doubt but yeah. if
2: you're going to hang your if you're going to hang your head and kick rocks while you're walking down the trail it's not going to happen you know what i mean so Fact. It's, it's right here between the ears and, and you got to know that it can change in an instant. I don't care if it, I don't care what time of the day it is, I don't care. And I tell the, the hunters that I guide, you need to be ready and it can happen so quickly and it's, and it's almost like the times that you're least prepared or least ready is when you see those elk or see that deer and need to react quickly within 30 seconds you know, and you're just not, you're not there, you're not prepared. I can go on and on about being not the lack of preparation, but it's having your head in the game and and just having a positive outlook on each and every day as much as you can, regardless of, of the outcome of your hunt. And sometimes it's hard to see that even in, even in an over-the-counter situation, I hunt over the counter here where I live. And I hunt every day of the season when I, when I hunt over the counter, most of the time I don't see an elk and I average six to 10 miles a day. I lose probably 20 pounds in September and I'm not a heavy guy. Yeah. Um, same here. It's like the you, just, you gotta grind. You gotta grind. It's time in the field
1: and you gotta be mentally prepared. The thing about what you said there is like people are going to listen and hear that advice. Some people's ears are going to perk up, but you're, most of you are still going to commit these common mistakes until you like decide, okay, I'm not making that mistake anymore, or I'm not going to be susceptible to having, being caught with my pants down. So let's, you and I, talk about a couple of things. Let's think about several scenarios where people will let their guard down, and let's try to like get them thinking about that. And then let's transition into you, Clint, as a solo elk hunter tactics, because I'm a solo elk hunter, versus you as a guide, how that differs and how those tactics differ. So the first thing I think of is like a lot of guys will take a lunch break or whatever they hunt with their friends, Whatever they'll stop and get something to eat or get water. And a lot of times that's time for the pack to come off. The bow gets put down way over there or whatever. And then we're talking. We always... This is just kind of a general rule of thumb. We always do elk vocalizations while we're eating, and we still whisper, and we still take breaks in our conversation to listen. And the bow is always nearby. And we didn't always do that. Obviously, we do that now because we made a mistake. There's one. Give us a. You give us one now.
2: I I've always spent. I spend all my time out there. I spike out because I always want to be there. I don't want to burn up daylight. Burn up. My legs and everything because I want to be there and usually it's that two to three mile magic number that separates a lot of that, particularly when you're talking uh, Over the counter or low, low uh, points needed to draw a unit. So not everyone likes to sleep on the ground. You know, Uh, I I sleep on a, I, I use a sawtooth. I have a floorless shelter and That's just how I roll. And and my time out there is extended by being able to start fresh every morning and not have to hike from the trailhead in a nice camper or tent or things like that. I'm already three, four, five miles in, whatever the case may be, and I'm ready to go. So that is what really helps me. Not to mention that, as you know, elk like to be more vocal at night. I mean, it's almost like clockwork. As soon as hunters leave at seven o'clock or whatever, by nine or 10 o'clock, they start firing off. Sometimes I can't even sleep because I'm listening to all the elk people. I'm like, which one am I gonna go after? Yep. And a lot of times, yeah, it's unbelievable. And a lot of times you only have 30 minutes to an hour of first light before they shut up completely. And I'm talking about these high pressure areas. So if you don't know where they're at 30 minutes before daylight, it's going to be tough.
1: It's gonna be a long day.
2: Long day. A lot <laughs> of major no
1: Yeah. The other thing you said is, and I want to piggyback off that is like the, the I, I don't know if this is an exact formula, but this is just my opinion so just everyone note it's just an opinion you don't have to agree but like i think the more comfortable illustrious base camp you have the more of a handicap it is in elk hunting specifically like you don't want to break down camp it's going to take a long time it's all dialed and set up it's super nice but they're just the elk aren't there you're not going to be a gypsy and move locations um and then commodity Energy is your number one commodity when elk hunting, and Clint saving three in three out. Todos los dias, and I know you wouldn't do this, Clint, but most guys are gonna get a head start on the hike out um, in the evenings. And it's like I guarantee that'll never change because I just I saw it. I'm just smiling thinking about dude. There was this one trailhead. That I hiked, you had to hike to get to the trailhead. So you kind of had like a, a buy in hike just to get to this trailhead. And and then from there, everybody would just jam out this ridge top and go quite a ways, like probably three or four miles into some really good elk country. Well, I was like, noticed this cliffed out spot. And I was like, that's pretty gnarly. But if I can get on top of that, I can look into three basins. And so I sat on that cliff, I didn't go hike the three miles, and I just sat and watched several sets of elk coming out, and I had already killed a bull, so I was looking to kill my Montana bull, and I'm not kidding, like, there was a good 30 minutes left of hunting light, like, make a move light, like, predictable wind, and I'm, I'm hearing the headlights and the voices, and they're all, and it was like probably seven sets of hunters coming out and i'm just like man keep doing that guys you're going to give guys like me the best opportunity so i just wanted us to to pick you know off that but what else what other little common mistakes do you think like people make and they're going to continue to make until they decide that that's no longer acceptable i'm you know lowering my odds
2: understanding thermals and the wind and what that the the difference between wind and thermals and how you hike and where you hike, there's a difference between wind currents and the thermals and what those do in the mountains and where you should be and shouldn't be, where you should camp, where you shouldn't camp. That makes a difference. Uh, I think a lot of people to a certain degree don't pay as much attention to that as they should. And the the wind is very fickle in the mountains and a lot of times it it doesn't do what you think it's going to do, but you have to live and die by, by the wind and, and those, and those currents and the thermals. I've run in the hunters that have completely blown up, blown a setup that I was in because they came in, they heard the bull bugling and I was working, they came in on the wrong side and for no reason to, to me that I knew of the bull blows out. And this guy's just, he, he didn't know I was there, but he was trying to come in on this elk and totally came in on the wrong side. And, you know, if I'm a guy wondering why I'm hearing elk and, and getting close to elk and then they're gone, then I would think at some point you have to look at why is that? What's, what's the, what's the result of that and what can you do differently to help increase your your chances right because you have to make the most of your time out there and in, in your encounters because i don't i don't know about you but in an over-the-counter situation i can pretty much count on two maybe three shot opportunities that's that's just my numbers it in an over-the-counter situation. So, if I get three opportunities out of the entire season of September, you better be doing something right. Unless you just like to see elk run away.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I do think that um, that average is actually probably higher than most, honestly. I talk to most people that you're going to probably get maybe one shot opportunity and Maybe maybe more depending on the area and your effort level and just luck. But like for me personally, you know, usually one or two, and you better not blow it, which is why I'm super freaky paranoid. Prepare as hard as I do, and I know you do too. Um, but solo elk hunting, man, is different than hunting with a team, and maybe it is. Yeah, and that's why I'm gonna pick your brain, bro, because I this is like one of the number one questions I get. I don't think people. Question anymore, especially regular listeners of this podcast. I've explained why I solo elk hunt. Um, it's pretty obvious. Like I, I don't play well with others. I don't make team decisions and powwows, and I don't like waiting for people. Uh, and I haven't met that many people that, quite honestly, could keep up with the way that I do it. And that's not saying that I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn. That I, I probably walk by a lot of elk. Sure, I probably bump a lot of elk. Sure, but. I just, I don't know a lot of people that eat and breathe elk hunting the way I do or set their life up to where this is my CrossFit Games. This is my Super Bowl. I have trained for this year round. I am not willing to hang out at camp and drink beers. I'll do that on a camping trip. You know what I mean? So a 100%. Solo elk hunting is where it's at for me. Now, my solo elk hunting... um, I definitely vocalize when I hunt like brush country, North Idaho, um, good thick timber country. I've become fairly adequate at elk calling. It's definitely something I've always done. I hang out with Dirk Derm and Jason Phelps a lot. Like, you're gonna get better hanging out with guys like that, but, and Joel Turner, great company. But, I'm still not a competitive elk caller. I wouldn't go on stage and try to compete. Um, and I still don't try to teach elk calling at my camps. I bring in other people to do that. But my point is is almost all the elk I've ever called in have been either being the caller for my dad. And I think I've called in every bull he's killed, and he's killed a lot. The other thing is, is my solo call-ins have been in such thick country that I'm able to be the shooter and the caller and make moves i can't do that in more open country which i i literally learned again this year got my teeth kicked in like i i had a cameraman but he wasn't caller and i so i i was trying to do a lot more calling to get elk on camera and stuff sure as soon as i put the calls away i went back to old dan mode where i just sneak in and kill so that's what i do predominantly as a solo elk hunter i don't have Several people with me or boots or scent or smell and I'm making fast decisions And I just slip in and hang out with the elk until it's time to kill one or until I get that shot opportunity and not always Get one back out do it again the next day and I just that's my style, but How about you like what are you doing solo wise? I mean, I know this year you just slipped in you had to but do you have solo calling techniques that have worked for you? Yeah
2: um and, and I do hunt I do hunt some thick country like you do and that that works to your advantage when you're when you're hunting solo because those elk have to get closer to identify that elk right you and that works to your advantage a lot of times I try to use a decoy of some sort that I put on the downwind side because or, or the upwind side because the elk is going to come around on the downwind side yeah, and yeah. that helps me quite a bit.
1: What decoy, a decoy are you using?
2: I've used a couple. Um, the one that I that I had luck with was the. Uh, gosh, it was the one that John Dudley uses—the umbrella.
1: Oh no, kidding!
2: Yep, yep, um, works really well. I've killed a couple bulls with it now. Does, Does it pack? pack you, you can, can put, put it in your pack, pack pretty easy? easy. Yep, yep. I mean, yeah, and, um, I, and I, I carry it um, so I can I can pull it right out of my pack and just pop it right out. It's got a stick that pulls out of the handle, sticks in the ground, and just drop it, and you move move to your spot, and you're you're there. Uh, I've I've found that works pretty well. And the elk come in looking whether they come in silent or bugling. You got a little help there, but you got to. You gotta be able to have a decoy, whatever the decoy is that you're using, you have to be able to be able to deploy it quickly, right? If you gotta set your bow down and do all these clamps and all this stuff, then that's valuable time that, going back to the not being prepared part, that will get you. So you have to be efficient with whatever you're gonna use. So whatever that decoy is, if you're gonna solo hunt, practice with it know where you're going to keep it on your pack be able to get it out quickly move out of the way and get set up because more times than not those elk are going to come in silent come in on the downwind side and you got to be ready
1: yeah that wind arc we teach a lot of that information at camps um it's got to be you know you have to be thinking about that and As you learn more elk behavior, you'll start to be able to predict what they're doing given their temperature and the terrain, what they want to hear, and most importantly, what they want to see, specifically bulls. They definitely like visuals um, when it comes to defending their harem or fighting to the death or just out of pure curiosity uh that's why the solo is a lot of making vocalizations behind you and then picking the hang-up spot getting to that hang-up spot and then potentially knowing that they're going to wind arc uh there's a heads-up decoy that i'm thinking about trying this year i did use a montana decoy this year it actually worked really well on one particular bull in montana i mean i was in the wide open and the wind was totally swirling but we called. I called him in solo twice and so he got my win both times. The first time he came into like, I don't know, probably like 82 and the wind just swirled but he was deadlocked on me, the decoy, and a little tree. That's all I had and the topography, the topography was pretty good for him to just be able to see an outline of an elk. He bounced and went back to his cows and then I just kind of waited for things to, to chill out and then when he bugled on his own. 20 minutes later, I, I I hammered him and he kind of peeked back out again. I had that deke set up. He came into 54 and I was just kind of waiting for him to turn a little bit more. He was pretty quartering too. And at 54, I don't like that. And the wind swirled again. and and uh, But I looking back, I'm like, man, that decoy was easy to pop out. I don't put the legs in it. And that Montana one, I don't have time. Who's got, it? I just literally pull it out pop it open set up against the tree and set up off that but that's really a good tip man i I really dig that i think that um here's what i
2: noticed and and i don't i don't know i mean maybe it's just me but bulls have this radar that is like you can't imagine like when you make a sound they know exactly where that sound came from that i mean it's like radar it's gospel right there yeah, they know exactly where it came from. And and they use that location and, and they come in from the downwind
1: side. So you have to play to that, right? The elk can drop a pin where you're standing. And then they can, like, they already know the terrain that you don't. And they're like, oh, I know how I'm going to go over there and get the wind or get a visual. And it's almost like you have to think, oh, crap, the bull just dropped a pin on where I made that sound. Okay, where's he going to come from? And that's exactly... The biggest nugget of this podcast is right there.
2: Yeah. And, and if you can, if you can help expand that range of the pin and the Elks mind with, with the use of a decoy, if you're hunting solo, then that's only going to help your chances of success. But if you can't get that decoy out in a, in a timely manner, like you're saying, you're losing valuable seconds to be able to be set up and be in the right place when that elk is going to come in because he heard that sound and he knows exactly where it came from. But if he sees that decoy, he might, he might come around a little bit further to, to, to get in the right position for the decoy and not where the sound came from. So by being set up in that proper location in respect to the decoy could really help you but if you make that sound if you fumble around with your decoy right and your bow's on the ground and it's just a hot mess and <laughs> that bull's going to see you move and walk and get into position and it's he hangs up and then leaves you know what i mean
1: yeah he's gone so thanks,
2: thanks for playing
1: well talk to us you know you've guided elk hunters obviously so let's just try to like paint a picture for people of what are the dumbest things that people do? They're, they're, you're probably getting a lot of guys who don't live out west.
2: Oh, most. And,
1: most. and altitude's the thing. I mean, dude, you said it yourself. You lived at 9,500 feet and still can't acclimate to cycling a barbell because it just is what it is. It's just physiology. So, like, what are some precautionary things that people should and shouldn't do, not only physical, mental, but just hunting with a guide and seeing firsthand of people showing up unprepared. That's number one,
2: right? Uh, so there's a lot of things you can't control it, regardless in any kind of hunt, whether you're hunting solo or with, with a, with a buddy or on a guided hunt, um, there's a lot of things you can't prepare, but what you can prepare for is being efficient with your weapon, being in shape and having a good attitude. I, i I have guys that come out from out east and. I stress to them all summer long, shoot your weapons, shoot your weapon. And you know, the rifle hunters, nothing against rifle hunters. I love to shoot a rifle, but they're shooting off a bench, flat ground. You know, it, it, it's not going to be a perfect scenario out here, out West. And not everyone has mountains to climb right out their back door or, or go shoot at this elevation, but you have to be able to shoot under duress shoot in adverse conditions shoot in, in all of those possible situations that you can mimic and, and know how you're going to perform in, under those situations because if you're an archery if you're an archery guy and if you can hit a skull can at 60 yards no problem that's great and all but what's your effective range when we hike up this mountain to try to catch this bull before they get over the ridge at, at 9,500
0: feet. Oh yeah.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. So that that effective range may, may now be 30 or 40 yards. And I need to know that because I need to know how hard I can push you. I need to know how close we got it. We have to be all of those things. So, you know, these guys that come out here to, to come hunt, I, I want them to have a great experience, but if they, if they don't prepare in the time leading up to that, then there's only so much I can do. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for people to pick out an animal on a mountainside. It's just hard. And I've, I've had to set up this hunter's rifle scope and put the deer in the crosshairs for him and tell him to just get behind the rifle to see it. And we still couldn't get it done. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. God bless you being a guide. That's a special breed. It's a lot of
2: patience. It's a lot of patience. But going back to to helping people, I enjoy it. You know, I enjoy helping people. I enjoy showing them what it's like. And I want, I want them to enjoy the trip, enjoy the time out here. And that doesn't necessarily mean taking an animal home with them. Most of the guys that come out here, it's a bonus. And that... And that I I enjoy because it's not only about just take shooting an animal, but I don't want to drag somebody all over the mountain, you know? And, and if, and if they can't, if they can't put the miles in with me, then, you know, what good is it to, to do, you know, if that's what you really want to do. And, you know, I adjust for, for the level of, ability to each hunter um but as you know i mean elk hunting is not easy they go into some nasty nasty country and you you have to be as prepared as you can be and and if you're going to save up the money and the time and the vacation time to come out here you need to do yourself the justice to put the time in ahead of time uh in shooting your weapon being physically fit working on your mental toughness. And I, I think that's sort of uh, off the radar of a lot of guys, everyone's working on their physical fitness, but their mental fitness sucks. And you can be as fit as you can be. But when that curveball gets thrown to you, when you're out here in the mountain, if your head goes in in the shitter, then, you know, you, you haven't done, you haven't done everything that you can do and you have to have a a balanced set of skills when it comes to being out here whether you're hunting solo with a buddy or guided you know because i don't want to have to babysit a guy and tell him that today's going to be great or it can happen any minute and you know someone's attitude's bad because they haven't seen an elk in two days i mean this is hunting out west is these elk cover miles, miles and miles. And they can be here today, gone tomorrow. And vice versa. So I mean you have to have you gotta have all your all your cards in, in line and ready to roll when, when when it's time.
1: Yeah, man. I like what you said there about the mental capacity. I think we didn't talk about it too much, but you also have the opportunity to have unlimited Visualization reps, which you know, a lot of athletes will know. I know you know this about baseball. You've probably visualized plenty at bats in your mind and got those reps and took yourself there and just closed your eyes and really walked yourself through the process and went through your senses and what you saw, what you smelled, what you heard, how you performed, and you can visualize success. And that's another podcast in itself. But I do want to, uh, before we go, tap into uh, the tool that you use from Garmin. I'm not sponsored by Garmin or whatever. I just stumbled into this watch. It's the Instinct and the heart rate monitor. I have been using heart rate monitors forever. I mean I used to put them on every client. I trained every athlete back in the day. And then from about for like last 10 years, I really just didn't care. And it's been super fun to kind of start measuring things again for me, just to kind of out of curiosity, like, what's my max heart? Yeah, I want to see my sleep. I want to see what, what highest I got my heart rate on that workout. And is my rate of perceived exertion matching up to the heart rate, which has been the funniest one for me? Like, honestly, uh, I know when I do like a true, pure, couplet, CrossFit, fire, you know, workout, my heart rate's maxed out bro and but the other like even last night i was doing just like a. this is a shout out to my wife my wife is awesome dude she like you're gonna work out again today and she's like a historian she's like you worked out saturday you did this you worked out sunday monday tuesday wednesday you don't need to work out today and i'm like mind your own business like i'm gonna work out whenever i want like um, but anyway, so I'm in there doing something, and I'm, I ended, I was ski erging quite a bit last night on the ski erg, and I I thought my heart rate was like I thought I was going all out, and I looked down at the watch, it's like 151, and I'm just like no way, I'm trying so hard, and that's it, and I know certain movements have bigger muscles invited, and there's not I'm not using a lot of legs to ski erg, so you're not gonna there's not as many muscles asking for oxygen. Hence, your heart's not pumping as hard, but still like, give me some of like, do you have, which watch do you have? What strap? Like, what are you, how are you using it, man? Gosh. um, What is the name of it? Uh, Is it the Phoenix, the Instinct? It's the
2: Phoenix. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, you know, Dan, I use it as a tool. I don't use it as the end all be all of the statistics, right? Um, Yeah. I like to have an idea of, of where I'm at and I, I've enjoyed looking at my distances and knowing um, how many miles I do a day, my my sleep patterns. I, I really work hard to try to get at least eight hours of sleep at night. And as okay. you know, having kids, that is tough. Um, so that's important to me. Um, my sleep patterns, my oxygen variation, is oddly off the charts. It's weird. It's up and down all night long, which is crazy. I don't know if it's because I live at elevation or not, but, um, I use it during, during workouts and things like that to, to track uh, heart rate and just sort of get a better idea of where I'm at. Um, and, and I, I feel like it's a useful tool in the whole, in the whole game, right? It's, it helps me understand, why I'm not if I don't feel well and I didn't sleep that much that night, according to my statistics, then that could be why, right. Or, um, the caloric output in, in workouts and how many calories, heart rates and things like that. I, I'm sort of fascinated by all of those things and how the body responds. Um, whether it be interval workouts or just going for a, an eight mile hike and what that, what that feels like. And it, it helps me gauge my performance in knowing and understand my body just a little bit better, which is, which is super cool.
1: Well, one of my, my buddies, he's a, he does the producing for our YouTube channel, which is funny to say you have a producer, but that's what he is. Like he plans and shoots and edits and bosses me all around and he's hired. I mean, I need that. So anyways, he bought the, he signed up for the whoop strap, which I've heard Joe Rogan mention and stuff. And I was kind of making fun of him because he started like showing me the app and stuff. It's, it's killer app, man, killer. Um, and this is before I had this Garmin instinct and heart rate monitor strap. And it was cool. It would sh- It would measure his level of strain in a workout. Like it would quantify how much strain he put on his body from that workout. And then obviously it measured his sleep, uh, his rest, and it gave him kind of a rating based on like, he w- would wake up one day and be like, man, I don't, I'm pretty beat up. I'm not going to train today. He'd check out the app and it'd be like, no, you're good to go. You're just being a pussy. And uh, there's other days where it'd be like, you know, I feel good. I'm going to go work out. And it's like, you know, you might want to pump the brakes. You're pretty strained. You're pretty beat up. Your sleep sucked all week whatever reason. Um I love that, but I don't like their business model. I looked into it. It was like, you don't buy the watch. You sign up for a, a year long contract at like 40 or 50 bucks a month for the app and you get to use the watch. And I was like, man, I don't, I don't like anything like that. Like this Garmin was the watch and the apps included. And I just used my inReach sign in account in it I like that. And then my, I got a friend request or something and it was you. And I was like, what you can, you can. So what does that allow us to do? Cause I accepted, but I haven't messed with that yet. What does that allow us to do? I'm
2: not real sure. I, oh, okay. That's new for me as well. Um, I'm guessing like you can look at just stats. Um, gosh, man, you know, in this day and age of technology, Oh, Dan, Dan did 10 miles today. You know, what have I done today? Or yeah, maybe, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if, you know, you need to, you need to take care of yourself. Um, just my opinion, but I think it may be, it may be just incentive to know what your friends are doing, I guess, in the sense of, of, uh, you know, just physical well being, yeah. which I'm all for that. You know I mean? Uh, insurance companies are rewarding people for being healthy these days, which I think is fantastic. And, you know, if we can all get a little bit closer to that, you know, BCD in this country is just off the charts. So yeah, man,
1: where can people get a hold of you, follow you, learn more from you, like as a resource and just as an inspiration, which you are to me, I just love your work ethic. Like where are you, you're on social media, I'm assuming.
2: Yeah. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, my Instagram handle is, is Rocky Mountain Clint. Um, it's abbreviated. Um, but, uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I do a lot of, um, just mountain living. I mean, I love, I love this lifestyle and what I do. I do it every day. Um, we, uh, we have a lot of fun out here. My wife, um, we take our, our son everywhere. We hike with him. We do, we do it all, you know, and, I'm looking forward to raising him out here, but all of those things that that we've talked about—farm and ranch, and hunting, and just the outdoors in general—that's that's what I do, and uh, and I absolutely love it. So, reach out anytime.
1: That's cool. Thanks for coming on, guys. This guy right here, give him a follow. I'll put a link to his Instagram. But I also think you know, for as long as I've known him, he's been very consistent in the mountains with his performance in the gym with his family. He's just like, uh, he's my brother from another mother. So thank you, Clint, for coming on, man. I appreciate you. I really do. Looking forward to working, working out with you here yeah. in, uh, this summer. That'd be fun. Cool. Yeah, man. All right, guys. Separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Guys, thanks for listening to that podcast with me and Clint. We, uh, we go way back and I love his CrossFit background and those competition days. It's been fun to watch him grow his family and uh, stay dedicated to archery, elk hunting and uh, conservation, everything that he's up to. So thank you again, Clint, for coming on. Um, I wanted to give him a shout out. So to follow him on Instagram, it is Rocky underscore Mountain MTN underscore Clint. Check him out on Instagram. Thanks again for coming on today. And I'm going to finish this podcast with a little bit of a soapbox just real quick. I get a lot of messages and emails saying, hey, Dan, would you talk more about some of the politics in hunting lately, some of the legislative initiatives, some of the stuff that they're trying to, they're trying to change laws. And um, if you're going to listen to this, just know this. We at Elkshape, we have competition, like in the hunting and hunting space. Like I make workout programs that are on Elkshape.com. Um, Mine are pretty affordable, but there's other people out there that make workout programs for hunters and they're my competition. I don't dislike them. I actually support them. I stand behind them. They're hunters. They're promoting fitness like competition brings out the best in everyone. I welcome the competition and I'm not going to sit here and ever clown on them. I want to talk about, like, uh, the Elk Collective. That's basically elk hunting education. We were not the first to that space. Uh, Elk 101 was. They had their university elk hunting, and they still do. And honestly, they probably don't like me. Like, they don't like the fact that they have competition now, and that's that's too bad, really. And the way I picture that is, like, uh, I owned a CrossFit gym for 11 years. I can think of at least five different coaches that worked for me at one point who eventually opened their own gyms. And they had signed non-competes with me, and I'd never pursued any of that, man. Like, their success is their success. It won't get in the way of my success, and competition will bring out the best in all of us. And I stood behind them. Like, uh, I didn't have to, like, go hang out at their gym and send them members. But at the end of the day, they're trying to make people – not die of heart disease and diabetes and stay fit and so it's a good it's a good thing so same thing with elk 101 like they're trying to help people get better at elk hunting and so I will stand behind whoever runs elk 101 I'll stand behind them as they're a hunter they're promoting hunting we have to stay united not divided now on these legislative measures and things like that this stuff can try to divide us and some of us aren't going to see eye to eye, but I think we have to like remember to stay united. And, and it's going to be challenging. I want to talk about Utah, and I want to talk about California. I want to talk about Montana real quick at the end of this podcast. I didn't want to do a separate podcast on it because it's real short, real sweet. Montana's trying to get way more tags in the hands of outfitters and way less tags in the hands of DIY non-residents. I happen to be one of those non-residents that enjoys a nice public land do-it-yourself Montana hunt. If you're an outfitter and you're really good at your craft, people are going to go to you. They're going you've created a demand so you don't have to manipulate the supply. What they're trying to do is manipulate the supply so I think like mediocre outfitters can have an advantage and get people to hire them. I don't think that system needs to change. Some people will disagree with me and bring up other little nuances. But ultimately, I want to support hunting in a way that's not privatized, where anyone can do it. I'm very blue-collar roots. And I believe that elk hunting should stay that way in the blue-collar foundation that it was kind of born and bred in. And so I would like to see people speak up on that. And so I am speaking up on that. California tried to ban bear hunting. In fact, in 2012, I booked A hound hunt with an outfitter. I still have yet to use hounds to hunt bears. I've done a lot of spot and stock and bait. I thought it would be cool to see that. Went down there, and right when I got down there, like literally the week before, the California had got it passed to ban bear hunting, and it's been banned since then. It's not probably ever going to be legal again, because once they take one something away, they're not going to bring it back. And then eight years later, they're they're trying to ban bear hunting across the state, like no bear hunting in California. And their numbers are insane. Their bear densities are so high. In 2012, I was hunting the Trinities in California. Sorry if I'm blowing up anyone's spot. Um, But I saw more bears than I saw blacktail. There were so many bears there. And it's just hard for me to imagine we as hunters allowing anything to get taken away going forward because it's just death by a 1,000 razor blade cuts like the anti-hunting agenda is to start with the smallest lowest hanging fruit and work their way up and take more things away from us utah guys are probably debating pretty hard right now at the time of this podcast because there's some legislation proposed to ban baiting for deer and elk and to ban the use of trail cameras and some other stuff i haven't really looked into and so i'm just gonna let you guys know that here in washington we can hunt over bait and I hunt deer here, and I bait for deer, and I have no shame about it. Uh, It's no guarantee, no guarantee. I baited the crap out of my deer spots this year, and I didn't even kill a buck, didn't even kill one. So it's not a guarantee, Uh, it's a lot of work. Washington used to be able to bait for bears, you can't anymore. Used to use hounds for cats, can't anymore. And there's probably gonna be legislation here in Washington to ban bear hunting, or to ban mountain lion hunting, And so they just kind of work their way up the chain. So careful, tread lightly on having things taken away. I personally don't mind if people use trail cameras. I use them. I can honestly say a trail camera has never helped me kill a single animal. I've always used them as a way to check inventory and to figure out where densities of animals are. But um, I understand that there's a lot of competition out there. And there could be 50 trail cameras at a watering hole in Arizona and, I'm sure there's some nuance there, and and I understand that, guys, but at the end of the day, we got to figure out how to stay united, not divided, not have things get taken away, and that's all I'm saying, and speaking of staying united, there's this uh, Instagram account called TradQuest, and they, I think they, I met the guy who owns it, I think, in Nevada, while elk hunting, we both had elk tags, and he was a great guy in person, like really liked him. And I saw that they posted something about me not too long ago. And it, and it was something to do with me shooting a 116-yard moose target, like 3D foam. And they put hashtag, it's a cool video by the way, you get to see the arrow arcing, the hashtag not archery. So the traditional community was kind of clowning that I was practicing out to 116 and and I am not going to get, like, TradQuest if you're listening. I know you guys have your own podcast, and, and I follow you on Instagram. Uh, I support you guys for what you do because you're hunters. But uh, you don't need to do what you did there. I don't think that's right to clown on other hunters like that. Like, I can shoot out to 120 yards at targets if I want to, and I can promote that because – and I do promote it. I think it's really cool to shoot out to 120 yards while practicing. My personal effective range is 60 and in. So when I practice that far, 60 and in feels really pretty much like a chip shot. And it really exposes if my bow's not in tune or if I'm doing some torquing or something's wrong on my setup. And it also preps me for tack, which preps me for elk season. Tack is total archery challenge. And so who are you to tell me how far I can practice? Is 86 yards okay? Is 46 yards okay? I mean, I know you guys are trad guys, but you got to stand behind compound guys and there's a lot of new hunters and i think that we as leaders in the industry need to support each other and stand behind each other and stay united because there's a lot more people against us than for us and there's a lot of people that vote that aren't anti-hunting but they're not pro hunting so it's our job to paint a beautiful picture and to show some camaraderie and that we are univited, united, not divided. So I didn't appreciate that, Triad Quest. I'm kind of calling you out, but I'm also telling you, uh, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to call you bad names. Same with my competitors in the hunting space. Guys, I stand behind all of you. Like we're all on the same mission. And you know, we love hunting, we love the heritage. We, we should love each other and support each other. That's all I got to say. Thanks for listening to this podcast, guys. I'll catch you on the next one. Take care.